My name is Jared O'Brien and this is the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Christians Engaging Culture exists to equip the members of St. Thomas's to give faithful answers in everyday cultural conversations and to turn those conversations to the gospel. Currently, we are thinking about evangelism, how we can share the good news with the people around us. And this week, we're looking at how we can handle objections. The first segment we'll be hearing from this week is from the Speak Life podcast, which used to be called the Evangelist Podcast. And they're going to give us 16 quick answers to quick questions. Now, this could seem a little bit glib, a little bit fast, these kinds of answers to shut down conversation. But as will be made clear, that's not what they're intended for. Uh, They're intended as helps to redirect the conversation, to get it back on track so we can share the good news of Christ. So make sure you listen all the way through to hear their explanation of that. They'll explain it much better than I do. Uh, In addition, we've written out all 16 quick questions and answers on our website, um, as well as full links, as well as links to the full full episodes that Speak Life have done. The second segment we'll be hearing from is from Michael Ramsden. Now, this is just a tiny portion from a conference he ran on answering the tough questions, but it will give you a good taste of what you can expect if you go and watch all of that conference through the links on our website. It really is worth your while. Uh, So please check out this week's webpage for those and a number of other great resources to help you answer objections to the Christian faith. And the last thing I need to let you know is that we have an event starting this Sunday. John Mason will be holding a two-week course on evangelism this Sunday, 7th, and next Sunday, the 14th of July, between 9.10 and 9.50 a.m. For more information and to RSVP, just click on the coming events link on our website. But for now, we're going to start with a portion of Speak Life's material on quick answers to quick questions. Today on the Evangelist Podcast, we're looking at quick answers to quick questions. The Evangelist's Podcast. Encouragement to speak life to a needy world. With Glenn Scrivener and Andy Brinkley. Okay, quick answers to quick questions. Are yeah. you going to give me the, the, the answers? Okay. No, you give me the questions. I'll give you the questions. All right. Okay, so here they are. Uh, atheism isn't a belief. It's the absence of belief. Oh, really? And I suppose anarchism is the absence of political convictions. Right. I need a sort of a drum roll. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds sounds very triumphalistic, and we'll talk about how triumphalistic it might sound uh, to just shoot down questions like this. But uh, it might be handy to to keep going. Here we go. Okay. If God made the world, who made God? That's like asking, if the sun enlightens the earth, what enlightens the sun? Mm. Think about it. Mm. Okay. I don't believe in God. I probably don't believe in the God you're imagining either. Let's talk about Jesus. I could never be religious. Many people say I could never be married, but then they meet the one. That's who Jesus is to me. How can you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? How can you believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos? Talk about miraculous. There's no need for God. Science explains it all. I can explain that sentence. Does that mean there's no need for you? If you grew up in 12th century Nepal, you wouldn't be a Christian. And if you grew up there, you wouldn't be a skeptic. In fact, Richard Dawkins tweeted out almost precisely that yesterday, (laughs) but I just didn't have the time to kind of wade into all that. But anyway. You believe we're born sick and commanded to be well? No, we're born hungry and offered bread. 
As with the physical, so with the spiritual. Suffering rules out God. Which God? To be sure, many gods are incompatible with suffering, but what about the crucified God? To say Jesus is the one way is narrow. But you, you insist on one way to consider all religions. That's narrow. To say sex stroke marriage is for one man and one woman is homophobic. Think of a Buddhist. Is their vegetarianism carnivore-phobic? Mm. Religions cause, cause all wars. Uh, no, about 7% actually. God is not the common denominator in war. Humanity is. Why doesn't God just forgive? Have you ever tried it? It hurts. It means self-sacrifice, because forgiving a debt means absorbing the cost. Christians are all... Uh, Christians are hypocrites. Christians are sinners, and we're very open about that. The biggest hypocrisy is pretending you don't have any. I wish I had your faith. If I recommend my doctor, you don't need my faith in her, you need her. You don't need faith, but Jesus. If God knew there'd be suffering, why create? Every parent knows their children will suffer. They still give life, nonetheless. There we go. Okay, lots of uh, thought-provoking. You're a Christian there. now. Are you, <laughs> are, you, are you overwhelmed with the, the short-fire, quick-fire answers? Yeah. It's a that. funny exercise, isn't it? Mm. Kind of doing that quick, quick question, quick answer thing. Mm. Um, and it does sound very glib, or it could sound very yeah. glib and triumphalistic. Yeah. Um, and certainly when you do it like that, it does sound like that. When you've got 140 characters. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. On Twitter, you have to... Yeah. So I guess, I guess you've got to think about what... Yeah, what, what are we trying to do when we're trying to think quickly on our feet and mm. give quick answers and I guess thinking more broadly what are we trying to do in general when we're answering um, questions of faith so it'd be good to be good to talk about that and then it'd be good to talk about yeah why is it good to have a quick comeback up your sleeve mm. for those questions because a lot of them will come up if yeah. you're involved in evangelism okay well first one then how can you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus and one response is, well, how can you believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos? Talk about miraculous. <laughs> yeah, I saw that tweet on the, when you tweeted that out. You got a lot of uh, response on that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it got translated into French, Spanish, and Portuguese. Really? <laughs> There's even, in, in fact, it's, I, I think I first tweeted that out like two years ago. It was, really? it was ages ago when I first tweeted and that, And I keep seeing it in my feed. It kind of gets tweeted around. And I even saw it last week. In Portuguese, someone had made this um, meme with, with, my, with my ugly face on it. And, then, and there it is in Portuguese. So you, you know you've made it. I've got to put that on the show notes. Okay, you've got to. Yeah. It's, it, was a, it was a very quizzical looking photo of me from many years ago. Um, yeah, so you know you've made it when you're, when you're translated into Portuguese. And, and uh, yeah, I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. You believe, you believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Mm. Choose your miracle. You know that's that was that was the old tweet, but yeah. um, but it's it's amazing. It's amazing how often people just don't think in those terms about how miraculous yeah. a naturalistic account of the universe is. To get life out of non-life yeah. is just 
I mean, forget about the birth of Virgin. Okay, you know, this 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 works too when people say, "What well, you believe that you know the corpse Jesus just reanimated in the tomb, never to die again?" Like you you really think like out of that out of that tomb, dead men don't rise. You know that, don't you? But you know, at that stage, you say, "Well, I believe." in life coming out of non-life. I believe that in that tomb, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God, who was prophesied all throughout the, you know, the Scriptures, who would rise again from the dead, mm. yeah, I believe that he went from non-life to life. That's a miracle, right? Now, <laughs> Mrs. Naturalist, Mr. Naturalist, whoever you are, you believe in life coming out of non-life in a far more miraculous way, yeah. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, somehow, what kind of naturalistic mechanism could there ever be yeah. that life and the life of the biosphere, like, emerges from non-life? You mm. can't even begin to explain to me a, a framework in which that is even mildly plausible. <laughs> like, you don't even begin to be able to explain that. That is so much a bigger miracle than that Jesus of Nazareth went from non-life to life. Yeah. You think the biosphere went from non-life to life. So that's, that's you know, so if people bring up the resurrection. But in, in this one, if people bring up the virgin birth, you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. You believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos, yeah. except you don't even have a virgin. <laughs> you, <Yeah. make. laughs> you got nothing. <laughs> and then coming out of nowhere, pure magic. Nothing up the sleeve. No sleeve. No magician. <laughs> nothing. Just pure magic. And you say, you say, I believe in miracles. <laughs> Honestly. So, yeah, just a, a, a way of... Arresting that talk about miracles because, you know, the naturalistic worldview, if you smooth out everything and you, you smooth out the supernatural from your view of reality, mm. you know, it's, it's a bit like when you're ironing and you smooth things out at the end and at the end you just end, end up with all this crumpled stuff <laughs> yeah. at the edge. And that's what the naturalist kind of does. Like, oh yeah, everything's just natural processes, natural processes, natural processes, and oh. At the edge, just what have you that. Just, just ignore think, that. Yeah, exactly. Let's not think about that. I'm sure natural processes will explain how life gets from non-life and how a cosmos erupts from sheer nothingness for no reason. You know, yeah, okay. And my view is miraculous. Everyone, everyone has a kind of miraculous view of, of reality. But actually, the Christian, you know, that Jesus was born from a virgin... Actually, there is a whole context in which that event makes sense. Mm. That the cosmos came, not out of nothing, but out of a loving God who wants to share himself. That has an explanation. Mm. That life emerged from non-life has an explanation. There is a God who wanted humanity. and or That Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, it's a miracle, but it's not an incomprehensible miracle. Mm. It's not absurdity. Actually, the Christians, the Christians' account of all those things, the, the birth of the cosmos, the birth of life from non-life, the virgin birth of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, all those things actually find a context in a living God who has purposes for all these things, and they make sense. On a naturalistic account, yeah, sure, um, a virgin birth is weird and just a, 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 a mad happening, and Jesus just reanimating from the tomb is a mad happening. But put in put that into the context of the triune God who has purposes for this world, mm. and none of it is is suddenly inexplicable or weird or just spontaneous or absurd. The creation of the universe, the creation of life, Jesus, the the virgin birth, and the resurrection all make sense. So actually, if you want, if you if you don't want to be reduced to absurdities, mm. come on over to Christianity. 
if if you're content for there to be absurdities in the world that are unexplained and uh, and unexplainable, fine, stick with stick with naturalism. Mm. But that's a far more miraculous account of reality, actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm? Um, suffering rules out God. Mm. Now again, context is absolutely vital, and you you don't just you know, like you don't just unload your silver bullet on on this one if someone's really going through the mill. Suffering rules out God. But um, there are many contexts in which it just does come up as a kind of a, a defeater belief that people just reach for. Um, and so it's, at this point, I would say suffering rules out God. Well, which gods? Certainly many gods are incompatible with suffering, mm. but what about the crucified God? Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think diving straight into Jesus there is absolutely vital on this. Um, sometimes you get evangelism training that sort of says, ah, Suffering is the too hard question, and you say to people, "Well, there is an answer, but it takes a long, long time, mm. and maybe, maybe we, you know, we can postpone this discussion to another time, sort of thing." But I, personally, I, I just think you say, um, "Sure, suffering rules out a, a heck of a lot of gods, but it can't rule out the suffering God, can it? Mm. If God Himself suffers, then, um, you know, that might raise a heck of a lot of more questions with you, but." the first thing you can't say is you can't say that suffering rules out God. Yeah. What about uh, to say Jesus is the one way is narrow? And then my answer is, well, you insist on one way to consider religions. That's narrow. Um, and what I'm getting at there is the question, Jesus is the only way, um, is narrow. That comes from a certain understanding of many paths going up the mountain and all that kind of stuff. And if Christianity just thinks it is the only path up the mountain, that is a ridiculously narrow thing to say. But um, actually the view of all religions as being like a mountain is a ridiculously narrow mm. account of religions. Um, and it means that you, you think of yourself as the one on the top who is able to see. You've got the bird's eye. You've got the God's eye view of everyone. And you can see that Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Christianity all get to the same place. How do you know that? Mm. How do you know that every path leads up to the top of the mountain and not over a cliff? And actually, to view religion as, as essentially kind of all heading towards the same kind of goal is like a completely Western idea. You know, Buddhism, most, most, most Buddhists are atheists. Mm. In, Hinduism encompasses both atheism and polytheism and everything in between and, and is really hard to categorize. Mm. Islam, they've got, you know, Allah, who is utterly anti-Trinitarian, and, and, and Christianity's got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is utterly Unitarian, utterly, utterly anti-Unitarian. Um, and so, like, even on the question of who is God, you just get these wildly different answers. Oh, no, but my Western anthropologist told me that all religions are, are like, you know, climbing up a mountain. Mm. And, like, that's a really narrow way of viewing religion. And, mm. and so may, maybe, maybe a, a thing that opens the door towards that kind of conversation is to say, actually, I think Western pluralistic ways of, of looking at religion are incredibly narrow and culturally located. And then people are like, oh, I don't want to be that. Well, um, yeah. And then at that stage, you, you basically say, it's not like we're all on the same mountain and we just need to find the right path. Um, it's far more like we're in a valley and there is that mountain to the north of me, that mountain to the east of me, that mountain to the mm. south of me, that mountain to the west of me. 
which mountain is really the mountain? <laughs> you know? And and uh, and three of them are mirages, <laughs> right? <laughs> And including, you know, a, a view of religious pluralism that that can also be a mirage. Um, so, it's just it's just trying to arrest the conversation from the presuppositions that people usually have, yes. and then putting them back on some more gospel footings. Yeah, think this through. Yeah. Okay, then this is the the, the last one today. It says religions cause all wars. Nope. And and what I, what I <laughs> that's my answer. Next, <laughs> and um. Well, that comes up a lot. In fact, just last Saturday, speaking to a guy, um, his two, his two were um, who made God, and I did the I did the analogy that we 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 spoke about a couple of episodes ago. Um, you know, the the sun enlightens the earth. What enlightens the sun? No, the sun is its own source of light. And I gave that to him, and I say I said, you know, he said, who made God? Ha ha ha. And I was like, well, you know, who enlightens the sun? The sun enlightens itself. It's its own source of life, uh, of light, and in that way, God is its own source of light. He said, "Yeah, well, but religions cause a war, don't they?" <laughs> and so it was straight on to Plan B. Plan B. And um, and so I said, "Well, guess, guess what proportion of uh, all wars uh, have had religion at their root?" And he said, "95 percent." I said lower and uh and he said wow 90 80 and i was like actually seven percent he said there's no way that's true i said well uh philip and axelrod's encyclopedia of all wars chronicles mm. um 1700 different wars um from from antiquity to today and uh and and it's put the figure at about 123 have had religion at the root of of, of, of the cause mm. uh of those wars and by the way, most of those 123 have not been Christianity. And I, you know, I, no prizes for guessing which religion have caused the most number of wars. But it's not been Christianity. But having said all that, look, 123 wars is 123 too many, mm. right? But it's not the 1,700 other wars that, yeah, that have been having. God is not the common denominator in all wars. Mm. Man is. Don't you agree? Don't you agree that actually all wars have man and, and the human heart mm. at their at their at their heart um and you know usually people will, will say yes but but it's uh, it's often such a hard um thought to shift in people yes. that religion causes all war yes. um but the seven percent figure is um is very handy to have up your sleeve and perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll put a link to um, in the show notes to, yeah, yeah, um uh, to where you can look that up and you can and in fact, it, it's fairly high on the, on the Google rankings. I think I think pretty much does religion cause right. a war. I think the number one ranking is the Christian Calm Christian Apologetics Resources Ministry. Okay. Um, takes you straight straight to that, and it, and it's a it's a very good resource actually. Mm. Um, so yeah, I. But again, it shows you the limits because the other day when I said to him, you know, I I argued him down from ninety percent, ninety five percent down to ninety. Actually, it's seven percent. He was like. Yeah, but I still don't know who made God. <laughs> and so back you go. And, you know, and so that just goes to show the limits. I'm just helping people to see that. Yeah, good. Okay, well, we've we've come to the end there. Um, any sort of final um, encouragements or, or tips, if you like, I th- as I th- we come to the end of this? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm torn between saying learn this stuff or your own versions of this stuff and yeah. come up with better ones and, and please email them in and, and, and help us to know what you 
um, use in, in, in evangelism and do learn them and do take advantage of these conversations. Um, in scores and scores of conversations, people have said things like, I don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, and it's led to a good conversation because mm. I've known what to say in that moment. People have said, who made God, and I've known what to say in that moment. So on, on one level, I want to say, learn this stuff. Learn it by hearts. Take those opportunities. Be bold. Um, and at the same time, I want, um, I want us all to be context sensitive mm. and to know... I don't just wheel out this answer because this is what I always do. Please do be prayerful. Please do be listening to the wisdom of the Spirit as the Spirit is leading you um, to the Word mm. to be able to proclaim what is what God wants you to say in that moment, not not just because you've got you know these answers learnt by rote. So, mm. to be to be honest, I, I want I want us all to do both. Yeah. I want us to, to have these up our sleeves so that we can put them aside when we sense that, you know, it's not right it's for me to just give an answer right now. Right now, I just need to reflect back to them. Mm. Right now, I just need to relate my own story right now. You know, m- maybe I don't need to give the, um, the answer right now. But learn the answer first so that you've got that option. <laughs> that's, that's probably my, my, my parting shot on the issue of silver bullets. Learn them yeah. so that you can then discard them. But at least, at least have them in your in your armory. Well, that was the guys from Speak Life on some quick answers to quick questions. You can find all sixteen questions and links to their episodes on the website. Uh, but for now, we are going to continue by listening to Michael Ramsden, uh, a small section from his conference on answering the tough questions, and we hope you find it helpful. Several, uh, many years ago now, when my wife and I were living up in the north of England, um, I uh, was just beginning to be invited to travel around to different countries and preach. And um, uh, uh, I've never really been one much for being bothered about personal appearance. And um, uh, at that point, it suddenly got the case where my hair began to get a little bit too long. I couldn't comb it anymore. And I was at that stage, and I was going to go and speak somewhere where I was expecting them for me to have nice hair. So I thought I'd better get a haircut before I leave. And we lived in an ex-coal mining community where there was very high unemployment. It's about 20%. And um, uh, it was quite a simple community. I was teaching, believe it or not, moral philosophy at the university in the major city next door. And um, I just realized I was in desperate need of a haircut. So my flight was the next morning. So that afternoon, I walked to the end of the street in which I lived. There was a small hairdressing saloon called Belinda's. And I walked in. And I came up behind a desk. And I looked at the lady behind the desk. And I said, excuse me, I need a haircut. And she produced an appointment book and she opened it. And she said, when were you thinking of coming? And I looked at my watch and I said, now. <laughs> when she looked at her book and she said, okay, if I'm quick, I can squeeze you in. I said, that's fine. I, I don't need anything, you know, just, just cut it and I'll, I'll be gone. So anyway, she uh, walked me across. She sat me in a chair. She put a big apron around me and she walked off and she picked up some comb and scissors back where her the desk was near the reception as she walked in and she started walking back to me and as she walked back to where I was sitting she just turned to the lady sitting next to me or the lady who was cutting hair to the person sitting next to me and said my business is doing so well but there must be more to life than this and I thought ah this must be this is Belinda so she then turned around to catch my cut my hair and I caught her eye in the mirror and I said you know what you say is very true in life we're not made happy by what we acquire but by what we appreciate and she froze and she stared at me and she said what did you just say I said, in life, we're made happy not by what we acquire, but by that which we appreciate. 
and she walked off. And she came back with a pad of paper and a pen, and she said, you couldn't say that one more time, could you? <laughs> so I repeated it, she wrote it down, and she put down the pad of paper and the pen, and picked up the comb and the scissors, and she said, you know, what you're saying is very true. And so since she seemed to be interested, I thought I'd follow through. And I simply said, but if you ask me, the trouble we have today is not that we have nothing to be grateful for, rather it's that we feel we have no one to be grateful to. And she put down the scissors and the comb, and she picked up the pad of paper and the pen, and she said, you couldn't just say that again for me. Now, it took her an hour and 15 minutes to cut my hair. I don't have a one hour, 15 minute hairstyle. As a matter of fact, I don't even have style. I've just got hair. Now, she was, um, she, she was then said, you know, I, she said, I, I think you're right. And I said, you know, I said, have you ever been in love with someone and unable to express it? And uh, this is actually coming from Lewis. I'd been reading a C.S. Lewis book at the time. And she said, yes. And I said, I said, you feel empty, don't you? I said, if you can somehow express that love, however, and it's, and it's reciprocated, it brings a completeness that was missing before. She said, I know exactly what you mean. I said, that's why worship to me as a Christian is so important. I said, I'm a Christian. I worship at the church just around the corner from here. I said, I find that expressing that love to God brings a completeness to my life that's otherwise missing. And she looked at me, and she was about very obviously pregnant. I would say probably seven months pregnant. And she, uh, she just looked at me, and she said, you know, I'm just worried about bringing a baby into a world in which there is so much evil. And again, hearing a line that I'd heard Ravi, Ravi Zacharias use, I just looked at her, and I said, I know there's a lot of evil out there, but what about the evil that's in here? And she looked at me, and she said, if there was a way to overcome evil in the human heart, that would be incredible. I said, it's interesting you should say that. <laughs> I said, um, I said, we all feel like there's some kind of power over our life. She said, I know exactly what you mean. She said, I want to change. I want to be a better person. I, I keep trying, but I, I can't do it. I said, well, the Bible calls that sin. I said, sin is something which we do which is wrong, but it also describes the state we find ourselves in of powerlessness, where we keep doing that which we know we shouldn't do. And she said, well, is, is, there, any way, is there any way out of this? I said, well, it's interesting you should ask that. <laughs> I said, um, I think that God can change your life. And I, I'd just been, um, a few months before, speaking at a conference with a guy called Chuck Colson, who I'm sure all of you will know. And Chuck Colson had shared a story about a guy who'd been on death row, and um, he was appealing against his death sentence on the grounds that he was insane. And he was then converted after many years of appealing against his death sentence. And when he was converted, he called together his legal team and said, I want to withdraw my defense. I'm not insane. I never was insane. Everything I did was premeditated and planned, all the murders, everything. I, I'm now a believer. I, I, will, I do not want to rest on this insanity plea knowing it's not true. And he stood up in front of the Supreme Court of Justice and argued that. You know what they said? Only an insane person would do such a thing. <laughs> and so um, he was working with prison ministry, you know, uh, sharing his faith with the other prisoners. And she looked at me. She said, that's an amazing story. Has God changed your life? So I, changed my I shared my testimony with her. She said, well... So then we kept talking and I just said, I said, this is what the Christian gospel is. I said, it's the message that Jesus Christ, who had no sin, came into this world and became sin on the cross. And he took the punishment that was really deserved to ours. He was crucified, he died, and he was raised to life. And he conquered over sin and death and he offers us new life in him. She said, well, what should I do about this? I said, well, you can't sit on the fence forever. And she wrote it into her notebook. I said, you're going to have to make a decision. What are you going to say to Jesus Christ, yes or no? I went home, I told my wife about this conversation. We got down on our knees in our living room and we prayed for her. And I thought, how do I follow her up? So two weeks later, I went back for a second haircut. <laughs> I have never had such short hair in my entire life. I walked in, she didn't even want, ask me if I wanted a haircut. She said, Michael, I'll cut your hair. Walked me across, sat me in the chair. 
came back with a comb and scissors, looked at me, and she said, do you remember the conversation we had two weeks ago? And I said, I can sort of remember what you said. <laughs> she said, well, I went home and I told my husband everything you told me. I thought, this is interesting, because as far as I understand it, you know, we talked about basically the whole gospel. I, I, I said to her, well, what did your, your husband say? And her face fell, and she looked at me and she said, he told me I was preaching at him. Well, of course she was preaching at him. They both get home from work, they sit down for dinner, out comes her notebook. Do you know in life you're not made happy by what you acquire, but by what you appreciate? It's not that you have nothing to be grateful for, you have no one to be grateful to. That's why worship is so important. There's a lot of evil out there, but what about the evil in here? It's called sin, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, she is very open and he appears to be closed. Why? And the answer, part of the answer is really quite simple. He's asking questions. The statement, is there more to life than this, isn't a statement, it's a question, it's a cry of the heart. Is there anything more to it than this? And I left that hairdressing saloon that day having discovered a very radical new way of sharing the gospel with people called talking to them. <laughs> and this radical idea of sharing the gospel by talking to people is basically part of what I'd like to share with you this evening. for listening to this week's episode of Christians Engaging Culture. Please spread the word about this podcast. We'd love it if everyone at St. Thomas's was listening to it and discussing it through the week. Remember that we have evangelism training with John Mason coming up this Sunday, 7th, and also next Sunday, the 14th of July, between 9.10 and 9.50 a.m. in the Parkview building. For more resources we've handpicked on answering objections, check out the website at cec.stthomas.org.au. That's cec.st-thomas.org.au. And make sure you listen next week as we look at how our culture got to where it is and what that means for evangelism. Until then, remember the words of Charles Spurgeon, if Christ be anything, he must be everything. <laughs>